Chapter Twenty of Elusive Isabel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Elusive Isabel by Jacques Futrelle. Chapter Twenty: The Light in the Dome. From where he sat in a tiny alcove which jutted out and encroached upon the line of the sidewalk, Mr. Grimm looked down on Pennsylvania Avenue the central thread of washington ever changing always brilliant splashed at regular intervals with light from high-flung electric arcs the early theatre crowd was in the street well dressed well fed careless for the moment of all things save physical comfort and amusement automobiles carriages cabs cars flowed past endlessly and yet mr grimm saw naught of it in the distance, at one end of the avenue, the dome of the capitol cleft the shadows of the night, and a single light sparkled at its apex. In the other direction, at the left of the treasury building, which abruptly blocks the wide thoroughfare, were shimmering windows of the White House. Motionless, moody, thoughtful, Mr. Grimm sat staring, staring straight ahead, comprehending none of these things which lay before him as in a panorama instead his memory was conjuring up a pair of subtle blue-gray eyes now pleading now coquettish now frankly defiant two slim white wonderful hands the echo of a pleasant throaty laugh a splendid elusive radiant-haired phantom truly a woman of mystery who was this isabel thorne who for months past had been the storm centre and directing mind of a vast international intrigue which threatened the world with war who this remarkable young woman who with ease and assurance commanded ambassadors and played nations as pawns now that she was safely out of the country mr grimm had leisure to speculate upon him had devolved the duty of blocking her plans and he had done so merciless alike of his own feeling and of hers hesitation or evasion had never occurred to him it was a thing to be done and he did it he wondered if she had understood there at the last beside the rail he wondered if she knew the struggle it had cost him deliberately to send her out of his life or had he even surmised that her expulsion from the country by his direct act was wholly lacking in the exultation of triumph to him that it struck deeper than that below the listless official exterior into his personal happiness and wondering he knew that she did understand a silent shod waiter came and placed the coffee things at his elbow he didn't heed the waiter poured a demitasse and inquiringly lifted a lump of sugar in the silver tongs still mr grimm didn't heed at last the waiter deposited the sugar on the edge of the fragile saucer, and moved away as silently as he had come. A newspaper which Mr. Grimm had placed on the end of the table, when he sat down, rattled a little as a breeze from the open window caught it. Then the top of the sheet slid off and fell to the floor. Mr. Grimm was still staring out the window. Slowly the room behind him was thinning of its crowd, as the theatre-bound diners went out in twos and threes the last of these disappeared finally and save for mr grimm there were not more than a dozen persons left in the place thus for a few minutes and then the swinging doors leading from the street clicked and a gentleman entered 
he glanced around, as if seeking a seat near a window, then moved along in Mr. Grimm's direction, between the rows of tables. His gaze lingered on Mr. Grimm for an instant, and when he came opposite, he stooped and picked up the fallen newspaper sheet. "'Your paper?' he inquired courteously. Mr. Grimm was still gazing, dreamily out of the window. "'I beg pardon,' insisted the newcomer pleasantly. He folded the paper once and replaced it on the table. One hand lingered for just the fraction of a moment above Mr. Grimm's coffee-cup. Aroused by the remark, Mr. Grimm glanced around. "'Oh, thank you,' he apologized hastily. "'I didn't hear you at first. Thank you.' The newcomer nodded, smiled, and passed on, taking a seat two or three tables down. Apparently this trifling courtesy had broken the spell of reverie, for Mr. Grimm squared around the table again, drew his coffee-cup towards him, and dropped in the single lump of sugar. He idly stirred it for a moment, as his eyes turned again toward the open window. Then he lifted the tiny cup and emptied it. Again he sat motionless for a long time, and thrice the newcomer, only a few feet away, glanced at him narrowly. And now it seemed a peculiar drowsiness was overtaking Mr. Grimm. Once he caught himself nodding and raised his head with a jerk. Then he noticed that the arc-lights in the street were wobbling curiously, and he fell to wondering why that single flame sparkled at the apex of the capital dome. Things around him grew hazy, vague, unreal, and then, as if realizing that something was the matter with him, he came to his feet. He took one step forward into the space between the tables, reeled, attempted to steady himself by holding on to a chair, then everything grew black about him, and he pitched forward on the floor. His face was dead white, his fingers moved a little, nervously, weakly. Then they were still. Several people rose at the sound of the falling body, and the newcomer hurried forward. His coat-sleeve caught the empty demitasse as he stooped and swept it to the floor, where it was shattered. The head-waiter and another came, pell-mell, and those diners who had risen came more slowly. "'What's the matter?' asked the head-waiter anxiously. Already the newcomer was supporting Mr. Grimm on his knee, and flicking water in his face. "'Nothing serious, I fancy,' he answered shortly. "'He's subject to these little attacks.' "'What are they? Who is he?' The stranger tore at Mr. Grimm's collar until it came loose. Then he fell to chafing the still hands. "'He is Mr. Grimm, a government employee. I know him,' he answered again. "'I imagine it's nothing more serious than indigestion.' A little knot had gathered about them, with offers of assistance. "'Waiter, hadn't you better send for a physician?' someone suggested. "'I am a physician,' the stranger put in impatiently. "'Have someone call a cab, and I'll see that he's taken home. It happens that we live in the same apartment house, just a few blocks from here.' Obedient to the crisply spoken directions, a cab was called, and five minutes later Mr. Grimm, still insensible, was lifted into it. The stranger took a seat beside him. The cabby touched his horse with a whip, and the vehicle fell into the endless moving line. End of chapter 20